0: They're supposed to be sword fighting with music like that, I'm telling you. Gladiators on the field or something like, hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to Eastgate Church. Glad you guys are here today. They say on rainy days, you find out who is serious about their walk with God. They say it only takes about 90 gallons of water to baptize somebody, but in North America, it takes about three drops of water to keep them out of church. Sure enough. Hey, I hear a track going in the background there. I think. Yep, it went away. Good job, guys. You are on it. So thank you for not being in that crowd that's scared to get Uh, white. Like, your hair looks great, too. A rainy day, and we got good-looking hair here in the church. (laughs) Hey, you guys watching online, uh, not casting any shade your way. I know that some of you guys are still being cautious with COVID-19 and tuning in today. And some of you just didn't want to get out of your pajamas. That's okay. We're bringing church to you via live stream today uh, we're going to con- re- continue our series today on the last 24 hours of the life of jesus hasn't it been good so far Yeah. man just looking at um, what our lord and savior uh, went through the stuff that he did it's powerful when you look at the last 24 hours of somebody's life i mean could you imagine if you only had 24 hours left to live it's crazy now some of y'all might get buckwild, crazy And then we'd have to rein you in and maybe you get serious with God for the last eight or nine hours. I don't know. Um, But but most people, they prioritize and they hit the things that are most important to them. And that's what Jesus did. Today, I want to do something different, though. We're going to look at the last few hours of the life of Jesus and look at the price that he paid for us today. Um, We're going to remember a little bit today. Sometimes I think that it's easy to get in a rhythm of life and church attendance and it's easy to lose sight of what this is all about what we do this for the reason why we're all here and the price that was paid for us and we're going to take a look at that today Uh, if you got your bibles go to the book of luke chapter 22 if you got your tablets or your phones whatever you're using nowadays, I believe, the notes for today's message are also available on version on the Bible app. We've got the verses on the screen for you here today and also online. Just in case you guys didn't show up with something to read, we took care of you today. Hey, by the way, you guys watching on the live stream, don't forget to like and to share the live stream and help us get the word out there so that we can reach as many people as we possibly can. Luke 22, starting at verse 19. And he, he being Jesus, took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, I want you to remember what I'm about to go through for you. I want you to remember how my body is going to be utterly destroyed and given for you. I want you to remember how all of my blood is gonna be poured out for you. I want you to remember the price that I paid for you. Just do this in remembrance of me. And this is what we're gonna look at today. Um, I wanna to keep this kind of PG to PG-13. But we are going to get pretty detailed in some of the suffering that Jesus did go through. So if you've got a queasy stomach, I'm just going to give you a heads up. Um, You're you're probably going to be a little queasy today. Because I think it's important for us to look at how our Savior suffered in order to appreciate the price that he paid for us. Amen? And that's what we're going to do today. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 61. Jesus has left the upper room with the disciples where he made that statement about remembering him. He's gone to the garden of Gethsemane and prayed the prayers that we covered last week. He's been betrayed by Judas and now taken into custody by the guards of the Sanhedrin. He's now being brought before the Sanhedrin or the religious leaders of the day. And he's being questioned by them. And they're asking him these questions. Jesus remained silent, gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And then Jesus answers, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. That's a big deal for him to do that. That's like the ultimate exclamation point for a sentence back in that day. He tore his robe. That means that what was said was offensive. What was said caused great pain caused great turmoil it was blasphemous at least in his interpretation so the high priest was making a point here but it was all theatrics because the high priest could really care less what jesus was saying, and they just wanted to get jesus out of competition with them for the spotlight so he tore his robe and he said why do we need any more witnesses he asked you've heard the blasphemy what do you think and they all condemned him as worthy of death And some began to spit at him. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody spits on me, look, now, I love Jesus, and I love God. Whew, man, you're talking about spitting on somebody. I pray in the Holy Ghost for me not to go back to a time where I could have done some damage to you um, for that. That's, That's like the ultimate disrespect, even in today's culture, to spit on somebody and and uh, it was definitely disrespectful for them to do that to Jesus. Now, keep in mind that these are the religious leaders that are doing this to Jesus, with some guards present. So, they began to spit on him, they blindfolded him, and they struck him with their fists. Now, Jesus is taking a beating here. This is where the physical abuse really starts on Jesus through this whole process. Now, just to give some context to what's happening here, okay? The Sanhedrin had 71 members. So this is a group of 71 people that have blindfolded Jesus and are taking turns knocking the chocolate out of him. They're just teeing off and hitting him as hard as they can. They're mocking him, and they're saying, prophesy to us, tell us who it was that hit you. And Jesus is already showing tremendous self-control right now. This is the group of Pharisees that he had gone toe-to-toe with through all his ministry. You know, he had, he had called them uh, sons of hell. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called, he'd had uh, very encouraging things to say to them. And now they were getting their payback, at least in their mind. And they were letting him have it. So they struck him with their fists and they said, prophesy. And then the guards took him and beat him after that. So Jesus has just had a beating from about 71 people. And he's now been turned over to the guards of the high priest's home or, or, or place where he stayed. Um, that's roughly 700 or so soldiers. And they're beating him too. Jesus is getting lit up right now. He's getting beat pretty bad. And this is to fulfill prophecy. Prophecy. said in isaiah chapter 50 starting at verse 6 speaking about jesus says i offered my back to those who beat me my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard i did not hide my face from mocking and spitting jesus stood there and he took it all the guards after the sanhedrin had had their turn beating jesus led into him and ripped out his beard at this point now I don't know how many guys in here have beard or facial hair. Just reach down and grab it and give it a really good tug. Or better yet, if you're sitting next to somebody that's got a beard or facial hair, grab a handful of it and just yank and try to go to the floor. Watch their surprise. Watch what I'm kidding. Don't do that. Some of y'all would. I'm saving, I just saved somebody's life by fixing that. But it hurts, man. It hurts. So imagine the majority of his beard being ripped out and he's already beaten his face is already swelling from the beating that he just took and he goes now from this initial encounter to where it starts to get fun he goes to Pilate, and Pilate recognizes what's going on with the situation and he sees that the religious leaders are just setting Jesus up and he says I don't want anything to do with this I'm gonna kick Jesus over to Herod So he sends Jesus over to this dude named Herod who heard Jesus' story. And then he said, you know what, I don't want anything to do with this either. This guy's innocent. I'm I'm not touching this. So he kicks Jesus back to Pilate. And now Pilate is stuck with this mess because he knows that Jesus is an innocent man. But he's got this crowd of people that these Pharisees have turned against Jesus shouting crucifying literally the whole city is shouting down the walls wanting jesus to be crucified this is the same group of people that were shouting hosanna hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord to jesus when he rode into jerusalem on a donkey just a few days earlier now they're shouting crucifying crucifying this is why you can't set your life by the standard of the crowd the crowd will turn on you in a heartbeat. Can I get an amen this morning? It will turn on you in a heartbeat. And Jesus was experiencing this. Mark 15, verse 12. Pilate speaking here. He says, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked him. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? The crime, why? What, what crime has he committed? I kind of like how bold Pilate was there. He's like, hey, this dude hasn't done anything. Why should I crucify him? But they shouted all the louder, crucifying. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate finally gives in. And he released Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged and handed over to them to be crucified. Now, if you don't know the flogging process that Jesus went through here, I want to break it down to you, because this is one of the most brutal things that a human being could experience. And other trend, like in, in the other Gospels, it says that he was handed over to be flogged by a whip with steel tips. That lets us know what kind of beating Jesus took. There were a couple of different kind of whippings you could get for punishment, but if you were punished and whipped with a whip with metal tips, it was a cat of nine tails and it absolutely destroyed your body. So what they did first was this. They would tie you up to a post. I brought some photos to show you. Um, You guys watching online, you're gonna see them in just a second. Just to show you. You'd be tied up to a post that looked roughly like that, and they would stretch you out around it so that your back was nice and tight. Now, in the pictures that I'm showing you, there's a little bit of a, like a modesty cloth over the person who stretched on this post. That would not have been there for someone who was receiving this kind of punishment. You would have been naked hanging onto that post. And the reason why is because by the time they got through beating you with a cat of nine tails and it got a hold of that whatever you were wearing and ripped and shredded it, you would pretty much be naked anyway. So they figured let's just start out the way that it would have ended. So. You're hanging there, you're completely stretched out, and then they start in on you with rods. They don't go straight for the whip first. They take these flexible rods, kinda like willow branches in a way, about a half inch, quarter inch to half inch thick, just enough to have a good whip to them, and the guards will start in on you from the shoulder down to the knees. And they would beat you with these rods. Now, there was a purpose for this. These Romans were so brutal and so good at what they did. They had torture dialed in to near perfection. And they were beating you with these sticks to kind of tenderize the meat and loosen the meat up and to cause a separation between the skin and the deeper muscle tissues and to bust the capillaries and surface level veins in the back so that you'd have extreme bruising and a bacchus under the skin, blood would begin to collect. They wanted this because they wanted a great show when they let into you with a cat of nine tails and they started cutting into you, they wanted the blood to splatter. They wanted the skin to almost explode and that's what they were going for. So two guards would get in on you with these rods And when they felt you were ready, they would stop. And then they would turn it over to two other guards who would come at you with a cat of nine tails. And it would look something like this. This is what the whip would look like. Got another photo I want to show you. Um, Roughly two feet long, tip to tip. But it was long enough that a guard could hold that thing and get a really good swing. Still balls and steel tips on the end of each leather strap. And then just behind it, you would have small pieces of bone, glass, whatever else they wanted to put in there, shards of metal, anything that would grab the skin and cut it and rip it, they would put in the strands of this whip. And so the two guards would start in on you and they would start at the shoulders and they would systematically work their way down to just above your knees. And they would go and those steel balls would hit the back and just just initial bruising and welts and the bone and the metal would cut the skin and you would start with small lacerations. The blood would be splattering because of the damage that had been done by the rods So all the surface level capillaries were just just blood everywhere. By the time they'd made the first pass from the shoulders down to the knees, the body was in shock, no doubt. Because every time this whip would go, the shards of metal glass would dig into the back of Jesus and rip out hunks of meat Every time. So they would start from the bottom of the knees back up and then back down. Now, Jewish tradition would say that nobody could receive more than 39 lashes from a whip. Okay, Now, Roman guards really didn't care about Jewish tradition. So we don't know how many times really Jesus was hit necessarily with this whip. Here's what we do know. There was one guard whose job it was to watch the person receiving the beating. And his job was to determine when that person was almost dead. And then he was to stop the beating before the person died. So the goal wasn't to get 39 latches. The goal was to be beaten and ripped apart within an inch of your life. And then they would stop what they were doing. Now, during the process of this, and some of you guys may know this, but just in case you don't, and you guys watching online, um, before this was over, there would be virtually no meat at all left on the back of Jesus. It'd be gone. At best, it would just look like shredded ribbons of meat where this whip had just ripped and torn and grabbed and pulled and just decimated his back then it would have led into the deeper tissues of his back and started shredding the muscle not just on his back but his side all the way down to just above the knees all the way down he just he would have looked like raw hamburger meat and as they continued through the deeper tissues they would have destroyed arteries they would have exposed organs It was not uncommon as the whip reached around the side for intestines, kidneys, and other organs to be exposed through this process. It was horrific, blood splattering everywhere. This is the flogging that Jesus took for you and for me. When the guard gave the signal, when Jesus was, at least according to his assessment, pretty close to to going into a shock that would have killed him, they stopped the beating and cut him loose. Mark 15, starting at verse 16, just after he was beaten, the Bible says that the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. Now I want to stop here. You can read over that real quickly and lose sight of what's happening. This is a whole company of Roman soldiers. You know how many soldiers that was? That's 600 Roman soldiers. Not 10 like you might see in a church play. Okay? Not 60. 600 is a company of Roman soldiers. 600 soldiers came in for what was going to happen to Jesus next. They put a purple robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on him. Now, I brought a picture of what this crown of thorns was probably going to look like. Some of y'all probably seen something similar to this, but it was going to look something like this. It was a wild wood that grew in the area, it was flexible, and it had thorns on it that would grow anywhere from one to up to three inches in length. This is what they used to fashion the crown that they put on Jesus's head. Now listen now, this is after Jesus has been beaten by the Sanhedrin, this is after he's been beaten by the guards, this is after Jesus has been beaten with rods and he has been absolutely shredded by the cat of nine tails. The guards take him from the whipping post to the inner part of the palace and they start to do this to him and they shove this crown down on his head. And they began to call out to him in verse 18, hail king of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff, and spit on him. Here they go spitting again. Now who is they? They is 600 Roman guards, Roman soldiers, that are beating Jesus with this stick. I don't know if all 600 got a lick in on Jesus, but probably a lot of them did. They're all surrounding him. They're all mocking him. Now they're beating him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him, just mocking him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Now I want to stop here for a second because you can read over that and lose sight of what's happening here. When they threw this purple robe on the back of Jesus, they threw it onto what was left of his back. They threw it onto shredded muscle, ribbons of skin, exposed arteries, exposed um, organs. And covered it up. Then they went through the process of beating him. Beating him with sticks. Making fun of him. Putting the crown of thorns on his head. And then when it's over. They go and they rip that robe off of Jesus. And I say rip it off of Jesus. Because if you ever had a like a raspberry or a strawberry. Like where you scraped yourself. Sliding into first base. Playing football. You fell and skinned your knee. You know. And you put a band-aid on it or mama put a Band-Aid on it. How do you wanna take that Band-Aid off when it comes time to take that Band-Aid off and change it? Slow, carefully, right? Why? Because it hurts. Because that wound has stuck to that bandage. That's what happened with Jesus. When that robe went on his back, during the time they were beating him, the blood had fastened to the robe The robe had fastened to the muscle, had fastened to the organs, and when they ripped it off it was deliberate and it was on purpose and they intended for it to cause Jesus an excruciating level of pain and they ripped it off with everything that it was holding on to and just reopened the wounds that were on Jesus' back. Y'all still with me or am I grossing you out? He did this for you and he did this for me. People were pouring their hatred out on him. And I got to think there's some kind of spiritual opposition with what's going on here too. As Satan's using these people to get the final licks in on the son of God before he's hung on the cross. After they'd done this, the Bible says, then they led him out to crucify him. Now, this is Jesus beaten with... Can you imagine what a full-grown Roman soldier could do to your head if he could just tee off and crack you in the head with a staff? Jesus' face is swollen. It's distorted. He's got welts all over him, blood all over him. You don't want to start describing his back again. Jesus is in a horrible horrible condition right now physically fulfilling prophecy in Isaiah 52 verse 19 says just as there were many who were appalled at him his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness Jesus was unrecognizable as a human because of the beating that he had taken. There's not many people that would still be up walking or breathing after this. Most people died after a flogging with a cat of nine tails because of the catastrophic damage that it would cause to your body. And here's Jesus on the back end of all of this. Can I be recognized as a human and they give him the cross beam of the cross to carry 650 yards from where he is to the hill called Golgotha where he would be crucified. Now this beam weighed about 100, 110 pounds. Jesus would have been fastened to it, not nailed to it, but tied to it. And it would have been on him to carry it. Three times the Bible says Jesus fell trying to carry this 650 yards because he was physically gone. He was beaten within an inch of his life. And every time he would fall, 110 pounds of beam would fall on top of him and drive him into the rock along the pathway that led where he was going. They finally got someone to carry the cross for him They get to Golgotha where he's to be crucified and then begins one of the most horrific execution processes known to mankind. The Romans had dialed crucifixion in to perfection. The purpose of crucifixion was to inflict as much pain and agony on someone as could possibly be inflicted on them and keep them alive as long as possible during the duration of the torture so that they could experience every ounce of that torture and pain and so they would start the crucifixion by laying you down and they would take nails and fasten your hands to the cross. I brought a photo to show you how this would happen because they were very specific in what they would do. So now Jesus is laid down on this cross barebacked. I don't know how painful that had to have been. But they would take the nail, which was between five and seven inches long, and it had a good cap on it. The cap was meant to at least hold on and pin you down for as long as possible to the cross itself. But they would not nail you in the hand. Why? Because you could not bear any weight if they were to nail you in the hand. It would just rip straight through the meat as you hung there. So what they would do is they would come down just below the wrist where the two bones come together here before the wrist where the median nerve is and they would put the nail right there through that nerve. Now if you would just take a second and whether you're right-handed or you're left-handed just push a little below your wrist there, and you're gonna feel, you feel that pressure point? You feel that little bit of pain right there? That's pressure coming down on that median nerve. Now martial artists know this little trick because this is where you can grab somebody if you want to get their attention to talk to them for a second. They tend to listen to you. This is where they put that nail. Can you imagine the pain? They wanted to inflict as much pain as possible. So they drove the nail both hands through that nerve and they would let you hang there but they would take and strap though the hand to the cross down to where that nail was holding weight. So the weight of your body would be um, on that nail pushing up against the bones through that nerve and that joint right there. But they would strap your hands down and secure them. Now why would they do that? Because later on in the crucifixion, as you asphyxiated or as you suffocated and the cramps had kicked in and dehydration had kicked in, your body would convulse and you would go into seizure-like convulsions and many people would shake and rip themselves off of the cross. So they would secure your hands and strap you down. as just one more way of securing you so that when that happened, you wouldn't tear yourself free. So now that your hands are attached to the cross, they would start on your feet. Brought a picture of what that would look like. I think of anything, this one hurts me the most to look at. Because they're gonna take your feet and put them flat up against the cross and I can't really do it here, but they're gonna stack one on top of the other and they're gonna drive that nail, the base of your heel where the bones from your toes and all that um, metacarpal come up to that joint, and I believe it's between the, is it the, the fifth and sixth? I can't remember. But anyway, it's in between the two, right there at the joint. If that was your foot, this is where they would put the nail. My wrist would be the ankle going into the heel right there. They would nail right there going through because that would be the best place to nail you down because it was the most sturdy and it would hold the most weight, but also inflict the most amount of pain too. So they would go through the front of one foot down through the heel of the other and nail you to the cross there. Now this is where it gets kind of sadistic because it would be bad enough just to be nailed to the cross like this, but this is how they would hang you. So when you were hung on the cross, you would be hung up like this. They would take your legs while your feet are nailed to this board, and they would offset them at about a 45-degree angle now, and twist you. So now you got your arms nailed up like this. Your feet are slapped up against this board. Your weight's coming down like this. And they would offset your legs so that they could not become... A source of stable weight bearing for you. And by doing this, what they would do is by twisting the body, they would put all of the pressure, not on your legs or on your arms. The weight would be there, but the pressure from hanging would rest on your chest cavity. And what would happen is when they lifted you up to hang you, and the weight would redistribute accordingly, your rib cages would literally come forward. And up because of how they had you hanging and you would begin to suffocate so you'd be hanging there nailed down every time you move the nails are hitting the nerves and hurting okay and you would begin to suffocate the way that they had you hanging on there you would breathe backwards from what you think you would breathe when you would go down and hang, that would be the only time you could inhale to take a breath. And this is where the struggle would be. For the entire time that you're on the cross now, the struggle is going to be lifting your body up high enough to take the pressure off of your chest to be able to exhale and get the carbon dioxide out of your body. For six hours, Jesus hung on the cross like this. Now this is where it gets kind of interesting and kind of painful. Within the first two or three hours of hanging on the cross, Jesus's wrist, his elbow, and his shoulders would have become dislocated because of the weight that was on them every time. When someone was crucified within the first few hours, dislocation of the joints would happen wrist, elbow, and shoulders. How are you going to pull yourself up to take a breath and exhale if your joints are dislocated? So you have to shift and do the majority of the lifting on your feet and push down on that nail and let it rip through the meat and come to rest on that bone and that joint and push yourself up and you can do that for a little bit until your legs fully give out and the cramping sets in. So now a few hours in your legs are fatigued, your body's cramping. Y'all ever had a charley horse cramp in your calf? Woke you up in the middle of the night, oh my gosh is there anything worse than that? Oh you just just rolling out of the bed, begging for mercy, trying to stretch that thing out. That's just Imagine that happening on your calves, on your quads. Your pectoral muscles would be convulsing and cramping. Your shoulders would be cramping. Then you got the pain of dislocation and you still got to breathe and now your muscles are cramping in part because of fatigue but also because of asphyxiation because you're not able to get enough oxygen to them for them to be able to function properly so now you've got to start pulling yourself back up the best that you can with your upper body to assist your legs that are already fatigued so you're pulling on dislocated joints to try to get yourself back up to breathe for six hours Jesus did this and every time he slid up and down the cross a distance of about 12 to 18 inches because with his shoulders, his elbows, and his wrists dislocated, his arms would have been anywhere between six and nine inches longer than they were supposed to be because of the stretch from the dislocation. So up and down, your back that was shredded is now getting full of splinters. As that raw meat goes up and down that cross Now, how many times do you think you need to breathe? Let's just say in five minutes. How many breaths do you think you would need to take? Up and down. Up and down. To inhale, to exhale. All the while going through this, Jesus had people mocking him. Telling him, if you are who you say that you are, then come down off the cross and prove to us that you are who you say that you are. Whew! Glad it was Jesus on that cross. If it had been me, the story may have ended differently. For six hours, Jesus hung there suffering. Mark 15, verse 33. At noon... He was crucified around nine. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Just darkness over the land for three hours. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachan, sabachan thaning. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Most people will tell you that this is the moment when our sin was placed on Jesus. After about six hours of hanging on the cross, six hours of torture, unrecognizable as a human, going through the pain of one breath at a time trying to stay alive. Can you imagine being beaten that bad. And then all the weight of all the sin and all the world that had been committed and ever would be committed being placed on you in that moment. Sometimes I think just carrying the weight Of basic responsibilities with the family and the bills and making sure stuff is taken care of sometimes that weight can be heavy enough on a person if you throw in a few issues here and there but can you imagine the weight that Jesus was feeling in this moment with all the sin of all humanity placed on him and not just that for the first time because of that sin being placed on him now listen on him that doesn't mean that Jesus sinned while he was on the cross that does not mean that Jesus became sin itself on the cross it means that our sin was placed on him and God's judgment hit our sin on him okay I'm not saying that Jesus sinned on the cross some people think that that's wrong it's it's you're in you're in error if you think that So all that weight is on him and he feels a separation in his relationship from his father because of the sin that's on him. And not long after that, John 19, verse 28, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there and they soaked a sponge in it and put it to a hyssop branch, and they held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Other gospels say that Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The point is this. No man took Jesus' life. He freely gave it up for us. He surrendered his spirit to his father. When Jesus said, it is finished though, something interesting happens. Jesus didn't use a three-word phrase when he said, it is finished right before he died on the cross. Jesus used one word in the Greek. You know what that is? It's a word called tetelestai. Tetelestai. It is finished. It's how we interpret it. Tetelestai, though, meant a lot in Jesus' day. Tetelestai was a transactional term. It was used in business. Tetelestai was only used when you were able to pay off an enormous amount of debt or payment to somebody and that payment was made in full, then you would say, tetelestai, it is paid for, notice Jesus said it is finished, not I am finished, not I am done, he says it is finished, it is paid for, Tetelestai, this great debt is paid for finally. Now, this is where it gets interesting. If you use the word tetelestai, listen, you did it while you were throwing a party with a bunch of people there because you just paid off a huge debt. You were celebrating. It was a celebration term. <clears throat> Bloodied and beaten hanging on the cross, Jesus uses the word that lets you know that he was celebrating. He said to Telestai, it's finished, it is paid for. I have paid off the debt. I have paid off the huge debt that they couldn't pay. I have done it and he was celebrating in his last moment suffering on the cross. Jesus was rejoicing. Because he had paid the way for you and me to come into fellowship with the Father again. as why later in the Bible it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame to tell us die. He was celebrating. You know why? Because he knew what his suffering meant for you. He knew what his suffering meant for you. He knew what his suffering meant for you. And you guys watching online at home, he knew what that meant, that it was paid for. That the power of sin could be broken over your life. That that debt that you could never pay on your own was paid for in full by him once and for all. Guys, today is a day of remembrance. Jesus went through a lot for us to be able to be here today. Jesus went through a lot to pay for your sin and to pay for my sin. He was brutally destroyed hung on the cross, bled out and died for you and for me in the most horrific of fashions, unrecognizable as a man, because he loves us.